Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, how's everything going tonight? Oh, everything tonight is going well. Had a couple bumps in the road today, but uh, God worked it all out for His glory. So It's funny that you say you had some bumps in the road. You know, we have so many people right now that are stuck at those speed bumps in their life. A lot of them are thinking about committing suicide. And a lot of them are thinking about just ending it all because they they can't see past what's going on right now. And I was thinking about the the people right now, the successful people like the Oprah Winfrey's and the Denzel Washingtons and and just a lot of lot of uh, entertainers and stars that are out there. You know, they were at that same crossroad at some point in their life, but because they didn't stop, they didn't hold on to what they felt at the time was their life, they knew that God created them for something bigger. And, you know, and I know a lot of them said, you know what, I just feel like I just need to end it all right now because it's so painful what I'm going through, the things that I'm thinking. I'll never amount to anything. I've been raped, this kind of stuff, and that kind of stuff going on. But they kept going. They didn't stop. So, Brian, my question to you is, have you ever been at that speed bump when you want to give up? Oh, absolutely. I think anyone who says that they haven't been at that point, you know, they just got to keep on living. <laughs> you know, because you'll always get to a point where you're at a crossroads mm-hmm. where, you know, there's only there's only two ways to go. You know, either you go forward or you go back, you know. And, you know, that's why I like when the Bible says, you know, forgetting those things that are behind me, not press forward, yeah. you know, toward the mark. You know, and... and you know, for those out there that don't know which way to go, you know, you have to press forward. You got to go towards that higher calling in your life. You know, it may be that point where, you know, you're not sure if this is the way you're supposed to go or you're not sure which way. You know, you have to let the Lord order your steps. You have to let him lead you and guide you in the places that he would have you to go. But you know, you know Greg, I was thinking about how um, I, I was, got what chapter in the Bible I was reading, but I, you know how you just flip through the Bible sometimes yeah, when you, yeah. and I was looking in there and I came across where it talked about Jesus was sitting with the, uh, you know, the publicans and sinners, yeah. and it made me think about um, when most of the people looked at him and said, why are you sitting with all of those type of folks, you know, why are you, why are you hanging out with them? And, it, and Jesus was just so profound in, in his statement. You know, he said, I had, you know, I came to save the sick, yeah. you know, to heal the sick. Yeah. And, you know, what, it, what struck me about it was he, what he was trying to tell them is that, you know, I can't, I can't help you if you, don't die, if you don't show that you have a problem. Yeah. You know, if you're out there and you're so, you know, wrapped up in yourself that you don't need my help, <laughs> you know, I can't come help you. <laughs> You know, but there's a lot of people out there that are at that point right now where they're looking for that help. And, you know, they've been trying to fix it so long that themselves that they don't believe it can be fixed. Yeah. And so we, 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 we're going to have a good time tonight. I'm encouraged. Yes. Good, good. You know what? That's the topic for tonight is move forward. We need to continue moving forward. And we have somebody that's special. She's special, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> She's special. We have tonight our special guest is an author and a motivational speaker. You need to go to her website. It's StacyHawkinsAdams.com. You need to go to that website and just look at what the sister is doing. She's a mighty woman of God. Stacy, are you there? Yes, I am here. Stacy, we're just so delighted to have you on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm just honored to be here, and I already, I've been blessed already by what has been said so far. Good, good. You know, the first time we spoke, you and I, we were talking about some things that happened in our past that, we, that we're that we moving forward on, and, and you can look back over your life and say, wow, I was there. I've come this far. Amen. And it's just so, it's, it's so awesome because what God will do when you're going through your struggles, God will pull you out of your struggles, and before you know it, you're out of it, and you don't even remember being there. Right, and you just look back and you say, wow, I can't believe that I was 
in that pit. And now, now here I am on the other side just looking back, and you're just amazed by what he's done. Yes. Did you ever think that you would be doing what you're doing right now? Gosh, um, you know, I, it was always a dream. And it's so funny you say that because, you know, I've just been kind of praying all week about this particular thing, move forward. And, and, and as part of the process, I'm also a mother. I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. So I decided um, earlier today that I was going to declutter a little bit. So I was going through my dresser, and I actually found a letter, Greg, that I had written. I guess it's more of a prayer that I had written to God back in 1997 and uh, it was tucked away, you know, how you write a little prayer, you either put it in your Bible, you tuck it away. Yeah. And it was tucked away, and in that prayer I said that my desire was to write inspirational fiction and to also launch a magazine for, a Christian magazine for youth. Well, I haven't done the magazine piece, and actually that has kind of fallen off of my radar, but I was just stunned to see that back in March of 1997, I don't even remember writing this letter. Um, so it was just like, okay, God, why did I find it today? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I specifically said in there that I wanted him to make a way for me to write inspirational fiction. And I quoted this sermon that a minister had given at church, and he talked about going forward. And I said, you know, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I'm going to thank you in advance for it. So when I look back at that, that's just so humbling that you would ask for something like that, and it didn't happen until seven years later, 2004, when I was first published. Wow. wow. <laughs> it's all God. It wasn't me. Yeah. It's all God. And then he and he decided to, to use the number seven. That's you know, I, that's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking the same thing, Brian. I was like, wow. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's just that's the way God works. You know, he doesn't do anything by happenstance or chance. Everything he does is ordered. Amen. You know, we're always surprised. And, you know, even in the difficult moments, as as Greg was saying, you know, if we, if we keep our eyes and ears open, I just think about the times when I've had those I call those pit moments when you're in the pit and, you know, you, you, it's a dark time in your life and you're in despair and you just feel like, I thought I knew God, but where is he? And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had experiences where, you know, the moment I'm in a crisis, he's shown up. And even though it's a painful situation, I, I have felt his presence or the people around me have shown God to me. But I've also been in situations where I have felt like God is nowhere there and I'm just like, Lord, you need to show me something. But it's in that silence where your faith grows. It's like, okay, God, you know, I look back, and if, is it okay for me to, you want me to go ahead and share yeah, go a ahead. specific experience? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, as I said, I have two children. They're six and nine. Well, when, my, when I was eight months pregnant with my son, I slipped on the stairs. We have a two-story house, and my husband happened to be painting at the time, and he had the little uh, the sandpaper on the, the stairwell rail, and I tried to grab it, but I slipped a little bit, and, didn't think much of it. I uh, had a doctor's appointment a couple of days later, so I didn't even call. I just thought, oh, I didn't hurt anything. I'll just wait until I go. And when I went in, the nurse basically scolded me for waiting because I was so far along in my pregnancy and said, you know, you should never wait and something could be seriously wrong. But then she sent me home, and I'm, like, I'm thinking, okay, now I'm terrified, so you got to check me out. So I did go back in the next day and... You know, you talk about how God works. Who would think that a slip on the stairs would show anything? Everything else seemed to be fine. But I went in, and because she didn't want me to be anxious for that last month of my pregnancy, she did a stress test and saw something interesting or unusual going on with my son's heart. And to make a long story short, they they realized that there was a tumor on my baby's heart, which my son, it was my son. And uh, as they do in medical science, they tell you all this scientific stuff. So we have been told that typically when a tumor is found on an infant's heart, that means that they could have a a rare disease called tuberous sclerosis, which means that tumors could grow all over his organs throughout his body, uh, including on his brain, which meant that he could then have developmental delays. So here I am, eight months pregnant, have always been a person of strong faith, and my husband happens to be a minister and you know, on that elevator ride after we get this diagnosis or this preliminary diagnosis, you know, he looked at me and I looked at him. And, you know, to to this day, I still am like, I'm not sure. I, I looked at him like, who is this man? Because he said, you know what, this is what faith is for. I'm not buying into any of that. We'll be fine. But I, on the other hand, carrying this child, I just kind of, you know, went to pieces. It was like, God, I, you know, I started praying, trusting God, and I called my prayer warriors, but I still would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning walking the floor and trying to read scriptures. And I tell you, Brian and Greg, during that season, it was as if I was I was searching for God to give me that tangible answer or to quiet my spirit or to say it's going to be okay, and I didn't hear him. I honestly felt 
that was the time I felt the most alone because I knew I couldn't solve this problem, and yet I didn't hear God speaking to my spirit saying it's going to be okay. Well, we came out of that. To make a long story short, my son was born. He did have the tumor. Uh, praise God. He he did ne- he never developed tumors on his other organs. And by the time he was three years old, that tumor on his heart uh, eventually dissolved on its own, which let the doctors know that it wasn't the tumor that they thought it was. It was not the uh, the rhabdomyoma, which would have been this disease. It was something else. And apparently tumors can occur and dissolve on their own and be okay. But through that period, from the time he was born until he was three, it was a total faith walk. We had to take him in every six months, and we had to just constantly pray that he was going to be okay. And what I took from that experience was one thing, it was God saying, it was God reminding me that he is always in control. And when we think that, you know, it's the worst situation or we want to fix it, nobody can fix it but God, so we have to surrender everything to him. And that was all I could do. I couldn't for three years not be his mother, not let him run and play, not try to enjoy his life and let him enjoy it. So I had to release him to God. But it also just reminded me of, you know, when you do have children and they reach a certain age when they need to they stop crawling and it's time for them to walk, but they're afraid to let go of your hands. They're afraid to let go of mommy's hands or daddy's hands and take those first steps. But we have to let go of their hands and we sit across the room or we stand across the room and we say, come to me, come to mommy, come to daddy. And they begin to take those tentative steps towards you until they realize, oh, I can walk and, and maybe I can even run someday. And that's what I felt God was saying to me in that experience. You know, sometimes he has to take his hand off of us in order for us to have that faith and have our faith in him strengthened so we can go to the next level in faith and wherever he needs us to go in life. Wow. My, my, my. That was good. I want you to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to, God's got to take his hand off of us sometimes. It doesn't mean that he has left us because God never left me. I realized he had never left me, but he took his hand off of me. He wasn't going to... Um, he wasn't going to baby me. You know, he wasn't whispering to my spirit. He wasn't saying, it's going to be okay. The baby's not going to have the tumor. It's going to be okay. Um, the tumor's going to dissolve. He wasn't saying that to me. He took his hand away. He just kind of let me take those baby steps. And each each doctor's appointment, each uh, prayer, everything was strengthening me so I could go to the next level in my faith. So then whatever else would come, I would be even stronger in Christ. You know what? I want to ask you this. You know, when you... You said you didn't hear him. Do you think you were looking for a certain feeling, or do you think God was saying, this is not about a feeling, this is about you knowing what I'll do? That's exactly what it was. You hit the nail on the head, Greg, because during that period, like I said, I would wake up like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and what I would do is I would pray, but I would also read his word. And although I did not feel him, I would go to his word, and I would say to myself, and I would say to him, God, I don't feel you right now. I feel alone. I'm afraid. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. But you said in your word that where two or three are gathered in prayer, you will respond. You said in your word that the righteous will prevail. And I'm believing your word. If you are who you say you are, even though I don't feel you right now, I have to trust your word. So I had to let go of that feeling. I think probably at some point early in my faith it was a feeling. And this kind of took me out of trusting the feeling to realize that I had to know, just know that I know in my spirit that if it, if I trust his word, now is the time to stand on his word. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Wow. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. And we have special guest, Stacey Hawkins-Adams. She's a a mighty woman of God, first off. I mean, wow. You know, just what you've blessed us with now, I don't know if I could just, you know, talk about the things that you do because just saying a mighty woman of God speaks volumes in and itself. Praise God. You know, um, if anybody wants to call in and, and just talk to this woman, wow. You know, I'm I'm telling you, I was ready to shout when Greg asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get excited. I love the Lord, and I, I get excited when I hear other people talk about, their journeys in the Word and how they've trusted the Lord and the Lord has come through for them. Amen. You know, especially when they talk about kids, mm-hmm. you know, because I have three children of my own and I have a heart for children. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and I feel like that's something that, you know, you just don't get by accident. 
Amen. They are truly gifts. And I tell my daughter, who's nine, we're having a lot of girl talks now. I say mother-daughter talks because she's kind of at that tween age. And I tell her, you know, I have the privilege of being your mother. And because I have that privilege, there are certain things that I have to teach you and certain things you're not going to like, you know, that type of thing. But we, we should look at it as a privilege because it truly is a gift. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let me, um, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. You know, tell us about your experience um, as an author. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go out and you, and you give speeches, what do you, what do you typically talk about in your speeches? Well, one of the things I did when I first, I knew that I wanted to write, I guess, Christian fiction, um, and, and it wasn't sort of like I sat down and said, I want to write Christian fiction, and I want to speak on Christian topics. I think most writers, you know, you hear the cliche, write what you know, and I've always been a writer my entire life, and I've been a newspaper, I was a newspaper reporter for 13 years. Uh, so when I first started writing the first book, I probably had been reporting for about maybe uh, eight years or so. And um, when I was reporting, I covered social issues, so everything from women leaving welfare to children not having health insurance, all those types of things. And that was just something that was strong on my heart. And so I knew that even when I wrote fiction, I would weave those things into my fiction. Well, because I worked for a daily newspaper, I worked with a lot of non-Christians. And I would get some of my coworkers to read my first draft of my book and uh, that kind of thing. And uh, they would say, well, you know, you got to add some sex in there. Nobody's going to buy this if it doesn't have sex, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, God, what do you want me to write? And I kind of just released all that and said, I'm not trying to, you know, yes, I want to be on a bestseller list, but I'm not trying to write that. I want you to write what you want me to write. So out of that whole experience, I ended up writing a book about characters who, along, you know, speak to my heart, who had, who were characters of faith, but they were flawed. But I also uh, was approached by my editor at the newspaper um, she came to me and said, you know, you've been doing a great job at the paper. What would you like to do next? And I told her I wanted to write an inspirational column. And this was sort of at the height of the Touched by an Angel uh, TV show, the Chicken Soup for a Soul books were out. And so um, she said, okay, let's do a trial run. Well, I wrote three columns. Uh, one of them, a lot of them, a couple of them were profiles of people who were living their faith in their everyday lives. And one of them was just kind of my thoughts about how God speaks to us in the quiet moments of our lives. And I tell you, those God showed such favor to those three columns. I mean, the phones were ringing off the hook, people were writing in, that I wrote that column for six years. And out of writing the newspaper column, that's when I actually started speaking because groups would invite me in to talk about the things that I had written about in these columns. And so that, went, that started in 1999 when I started the column. And then I started writing the book around 2000, uh, in, in, uh, like early 2000, and finished the second draft, or the third draft, actually, in late 2001, and the filing was published in 2004. So they kind of actually kind of went hand-in-hand because I was doing the community speaking around the themes in the column, but many of the themes in the column wound up weaving their way into my fiction. Wow. You know, we've been talking about faith so much tonight, and you, I read in your bio that you you, you were living your dream, you were, you were working in the job that you were in as a, a journalist. Mm-hmm. But you said you know what it's like to walk away from your comfort zone and to trust God to leave your job and to follow your dream. Right, right. That And it was not an easy decision. Like I said, this column had like a had really a huge following and, you know, it was just, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing and humbling. It was, I guess in a sense, I, the column was successful and that's the, the human side of us, you know, the the side where we're like, oh, okay, I'm like a local celebrity. You know, I walk into a store, and it got to the point I had to take my home address off of my text, you know, just that basic, like, okay, I don't want people, like, stalking me or driving by my house. Right, right. But then on the spiritual side of it, you write in columns, and people are, like, emailing you and calling you saying, because I read that column, I had the courage to leave that situation I was in, or I woke up this morning in such pain and I just felt so alone, and I read what you said, be encouraged, or don't give up, or keep moving forward, and because you wrote that, or because God put it on your heart to write that, I'm going to try again, or I'm going to give this relationship another try. So that was just the humbling piece to know that really I was just an instrument, and God was using these words and giving me these columns to write or these particulars. Because sometimes I would write about other people, 
you know, he would lead me to these people to share their journeys of faith, or if something tragic happened in the community, I would write a column about, you know, where is God in this tragedy, and it would just give such hope to people. Um, so it was just it was just an amazing journey, and part of it was I think when the second book, the first book came out in 2004, October of 2004, the next book uh, was scheduled to come out in April of 2006. Well, a whole lot had occurred during that time. I did have the two young children. They were about, uh, let's see, five and eight at that time or, or maybe seven and four at that time. My mother had unexpectedly died, and so I was grieving for her very deeply. But also I knew how hectic. If you look at my website, Greg, uh, you were talking earlier about my mm-hmm. schedule. When a book is coming out, you get really, really busy. So I was raising my family. I was married, had a husband who was in the ministry, working full-time at the newspaper, and then I'm trying to write a second book and promote the first one. It was just a lot going on. So I just started praying, God, what do you want me to do, and, you know, how can I move forward? And so um, I stayed there through the writing of the second book, but right before that second book was coming out in April of 2006, April, uh, yes, April of 2006, God said to me, it's time for you to move out of the newspaper. And it was it was like a crossroads for me because I had a choice. Either I could stay in that comfort zone of writing these wonderful columns that, that were really blessing people, and my, my employer was happy with what I was doing. They pretty much let me write my own ticket. Could, did I want to stay in that? Or was I going to move forward and, and go into the unknown with the books? You know, yes, the books were blessing people too, but... I was still a new author, you know, not like I was on a New York Times list yet or anything. So what was I going to do? And so God just, you know, through praying with a series of people and, and talking to people, God just said, you know, you've got to follow me. And I remember, I don't remember the day, but I remember one morning it was in, uh, it would have been, I guess, mid to late 2005, I went into the newspaper office. And when I sat at my desk, this this feeling just came over me. And it, was as, as, it wasn't audible, but God was speaking to my spirit, and he said, you are not supposed to be here anymore. And if you stay here, the person that is supposed to be sitting at this desk doing this job can't move here. And then you can't minister to the people in the new way that I need you to minister to them. And that just shook me. It was like, wow. I mean, I hadn't even turned on my computer or anything. And probably within six months of hearing that, I mean, I, at that point I just really started praying and I started talking to my spiritual mentors and to my husband and saying, you know, I'm not quite sure when he wants me to do it or how I'm going to do this, but I feel that God is calling me to take this journey. And you know how, Greg, when you are making a decision like that, Brian, uh, people are like, are you sure? And Are you yeah. sure you're making the right decision? Are You, you know, how are you going to take care of your family? How are you going to pay your bills, you know, this is a great column, how could you give up something that magnificent, you know, all these kinds of things. You hear those voices, but that is when you tune in the most to what God is speaking to your spirit because amid all of that I still heard him saying, you got to make a choice. You're going to stay in your comfort zone or you're going to move to where I need you to move. And the day I turned my resignation in, it was um, in January of 2006, um, I turned it in and did not have a moment of doubt or regret. I was at such peace about it that I knew that I was doing what God wanted me to do. You know what? I'm, I have a really good friend, and she's she's um, about to do the same thing. And uh, we've been talking and we've been praying about about her stepping out on, into what God has called her to do. And, you know, it, it sometimes it's a kind of a it's a scary thing. It is. It, it, it's a it's a scary thing, and like you said, you have people out there that will try to. I think they talk to you and they try to tell you they're being cautious. They don't want to see you get hurt. Right. Exactly. But you can't you can't explain to them the vision that God has given to you. So it's you're in a position where you may try to explain it to them, but they can't feel what God has spoken to you, and you feel so strong about doing it, and then then they're speaking against it. So I think a lot of times what it does is it confuses people. It does. And I think if I, probably without the confusion, I might have left sooner. But because I wanted to be sure that what I was hearing was from God. And the thing about it, when you're making a decision like that, you have to have, you need to not, not just go to your friends and not just go to your mama because she's your mama, you know. Yeah. You need to go to the person that you know is in the Word. You need to go to the person that you know has a strong connection with God because then they're going to tell you the truth. 
They're going to ask you the hard questions. You know, why are you making this choice? Um, you know, do, are you seeking the fame and fortune that's uh, down that path? Are you only doing it for prosperity? Why do you feel led to make this choice? Um, and as they're asking you those questions, then you need to really look at yourself and say, well, why am I doing this? What am I trying to get out of this? Get, get out of it? What is the benefit to me? And so I had two or three friends who I knew were uh, truly steeped in God that I went to with that. And I did talk to some relatives about it. And uh, one of my sisters, I have a sister who's uh, very much older than me, and I really look up to her, and she's a person of faith. But at the same time, I, she's not like my, my mentor mentor spiritually, but she is my, my sister mentor. And when I was the day before I was going to turn in my resignation, we had been talking about it for a few months, and she was one of my cautious voices. And she would always say, are you sure? And you're going to give up that newspaper column? And what about this? What about that? And uh, truly, she was asking in love. She was looking for at, looking out for her baby sister. But the day before I turned in my resignation, I called her, and I said, you know, tomorrow is the day, and I'm at peace about it. And she said, you know, that's the most important thing that you're at peace about it. And she just kind of remembered a time in her life when God had seen her through a situation when she didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know the next day what the outcome was going to be. And she said, you know what, God saw me through that, and I just truly believe he's going to see you through this. And that was my confirmation because it was coming from someone who had been a questioner or who had been kind of doubting. And so that was God saying to me, okay, you know, now she's on board, so that's another confirmation for you. Awesome. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. And we have our special guest tonight, motivational speaker and author, Stacy Hawkins-Adams. Ms. Adams, I have a question for you, and um, I want to talk a little bit about your book. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, how much is of your book and how much of the fiction that you write is based on events that you've personally experienced? Um, I would say probably, I typically say about 25% because I get that question a lot. In my first novel, Speak to My Heart, the main character, Serena, is uh, she finds out a family secret in the very first chapter of the book that, again, she has a choice to either let it make her stronger and to help her move forward or to devastate her, and she chooses the latter. So she pushes away her relationship with her mother and with God. But she and her mother have been very, very close because her mother raised her as a single mother. So that was my experience. I grew up in a single-parent home, and I was very, very close to my mother. And I could relate to Serena on that level. Um, so that part of it, I would say, is probably the, the, the true part of the story, the personal part of the journey, because I could write this story from the perspective of a woman who was deeply close to her only parent. and then But then that speaks volumes about her pushing that parent away. So... The rest of it was really taken from, I guess, just being around other women, but also uh, my my many years of covering social issues because in that book we've got a woman who's dealing with an abusive relationship, and I covered domestic violence for over 10 years and went into into a local battered women's shelter for a four-month period. And uh, I, I wrote columns and stories about the women who were living in the shelter, during that time frame. So a lot of it's pulled from that. And as I mentioned earlier, I've written about welfare reform. So there's a teenager who's living in poverty. And really with those stories, when I wrote those stories for the newspaper, my goal was to humanize the people that were coming off of welfare and to let uh, the readers know that, you know what, they're just like you and me. They've had some different issues. They have different struggles. But they want to be happy and healthy and you know, faithful people as well. So that's what I try to do with the character to humanize that. So a lot of it was just taken from my experiences as a reporter as well. So it was sort of like a a fictional nonfiction fiction. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good way of looking at it. Okay, yeah. You know, because, you know, as I read some of the excerpts from the book, you know, I could immediately start to identify with people who we've interviewed in the past, mm-hmm. people that I knew personally, that may have experienced that, you know. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of my question. I, I knew that, you know, I didn't read anywhere where you had personally gone through that, but I just wanted to, you know, ask you about some of the things that you've written because a lot of our listeners do identify with a lot of the things that you write, that you have in your book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's a blessing. And I would say, you know, one of my gifts as a writer, I think, you know, we, we all have special gifts, and then I think within having those gifts, we have special areas that God kind of gives us to, you know, I guess magnify. 
And one of mine is the gift of empathy, which, you know, I use as a reporter because when I was going into that shelter, um, I could identify with those women, and I would try to tell the story through their voices. And I try to do that with my fiction because with the second book, Nothing But the Right Thing, the very first chapter opens up with Erica and her husband comes home and basically he's, you know, abusing her. And I wrote that chapter. God woke me up one morning at 3 a.m., and I wrote that chapter just like probably in 30 minutes flat. Now, the rest of the book took much longer, but that first chapter came to me, and when I turned it in to my editor with the publishing house, he called me and said, you know, there's something I need to know. (laughs) And I said, no, no, no. And then a couple of my friends uh, here in Richmond, where I live in Richmond, Virginia, they read it, and they were like, okay, um, I'm looking at your husband, and he seems like a nice guy, but <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad it's reading realistically. Now, the third book, Watercolor Pearls, this, these three books actually are part of a series, and the characters are the same in all three. Oh. And the third one, Watercolor Pearls, will be out in October. Now, that book is probably the most personal of the three, Brian, because I could totally relate to these three characters. Um, Serena in this book is the mother of two young kids and is feeling overwhelmed. Well, I've been there. Um, Tawana, who is in the first book as a pregnant teenager, in this third book, she's a college student, or I should say a law school student at Harvard University, and she's got her daughter there with her, and life seems great on the surface, but underneath she's like, you know, am I doing it right? Am I getting everything right? And, you know, I've kind of been there. I think many women struggle with that whole superwoman syndrome and are you doing it well and are you doing it right. And so her her choice um, or her concerns lead her into a life of promiscuity, which is not my not the path I took, but I could relate to some of those those questions she was asking herself. And then Erica um, is struggling with her relationship with God because she's trying to decide, do I stay with this man who was once abusive or can I move on? And she knows that in God's word he hates divorce. So her whole issue is trying to figure out how literal is the scripture, how how literally should I take it, do I have to stay with him because the Bible says God hates divorce, or if not, then how do I move forward and still please God? And I think as people of faith, we often wrestle with what does God want me to do, and if I read his word, am I reading it literally, or do I take from that and apply it to my life in a special way? Wow. You know, you said something that 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 touched me. You said that when you used to go in the, what is it, the Women Battered Centers? Yes, the, the Women's Battered Women's Shelter. Yes. You know what, if when I've learned that when you're struggling and you're suffering and you're going through something, if you would get up and get out of your house and, and go to some of these places, like the homeless shelters, mm-hmm. and the women battered centers, when you start going to these places, you will understand that your problem is not as big as you thought it was. Amen, that's true. Yeah. I started volunteering a lot of my time doing uh, going to the detention centers, going to the jails and to the prisons, and and I was find myself talking to guys that were sentenced for over two hundred years. Mm. Now you and I know this man is not going to do two hundred and seventy five years. Wow! To to even hear something like that, it just blew my mind. So, you know, God prepares us for the things that we we're going to face later down the road. And when you were a little girl, did you write a lot? I did. I, um, you know, I was extremely shy as a child, and my um, my sisters. I have three sisters and a brother, and they tell this story like, well, you know, you really didn't start talking till you were five, and then once you started, you wouldn't be quiet. But, <laughs> but we were wondering about you. But I was very shy, and so I expressed myself through my writing. And pretty much, literally, when I learned how to read, I started writing, and I would write poems and stories. And and the beautiful thing about that experience is, I always I share this story with parents all the time is that when my sisters and my, my mother and my other family realized that I could write, and it was like, they were like, wow, this is pretty good, they would take my story, my short stories and my poems, and they would type them up, and they would give it back to me like in a little booklet, and they said, oh, here's your book. So they planted that seed in me at six years old that I was a writer and that I could someday write books. And ever since then, I've, I mean, if you go to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, where I grew up, everybody who ever knew you, knew me rather, would say, oh, Stacy's the writer, oh, Stacy's going to write books someday, because that gift was shown so early and people nurtured that gift in me that I never, I never had to struggle for what I was going to do when I grew up. Grew up. Did, your, did your mother, I know you said your mother passed, mm-hmm. was, she, was she alive when you published your first book? She was alive when I published my first book and, and, and read it and loved it, and she was actually alive when I wrote the second book, and 
not to give away the themes in the book, but just to show you how God can even minister to a writer. Uh, when I wrote the first book, Speak to My Heart, like I said, Serena and her mother were at odds, but the book, that whole book is about forgiveness and how you have to love people despite their faults. So by the end of the book, Serena and her mother kind of come to a place where they're understanding each other, but her mother does not survive. And uh, and a lot of readers are like, well, why did her mother have to die? And I'm like, well, you know what, that's life. And even though their relationship was healed, didn't mean that, you know, her mother had to be healed here on earth. So my mom was alive and had read that book, and I wrote the second book, and I remember calling her the day I finished writing the second book, nothing but the right thing. And I was like, oh, I'm going out to dinner to celebrate. I finished the second book. Well, a month later, my mother died unexpectedly. Um, she uh, was on kidney dialysis and had gone to the hospital for some minor infection and died suddenly. And so when you write a book, you turn the book in. Like I turned that book in in March of 2000 and I guess it was 2005. My dates are mixing, messing up. Yeah, because mom died in April of 2005. So I turned it in in March of 2005. I didn't see the book again until September of 2005 because it goes through a long editing process with the publisher. And when I got that book back in September in the midst of me trying to heal from her death, that book ministered to me because in the second book, Serena is on this journey to understand how she can move on in her life without her mother. You know, how how do I find joy? How do I prosper? How do I honor her memory but still move forward in my life? And reading her journey helped me, and I was thinking, gosh, God, you know, you're just something else because I wrote those words and my mom was still alive, just kind of trying to empathize with the character, not knowing that a few months later that those same words were going to bless me. Wow. You know, I'm reading your bio here, and it says, when you're not speaking or writing, you devote your time to encouraging the love of reading in disadvantaged children. Mm -hmm. And that just touches me. I I love that. You. you know, um, what do you do when you when you go and talk to those children? I mean, I, I go out and I talk to youth groups, mm-hmm. and you know, I I, um, I help out at my church with the with the uh, children's church, mm-hmm. and so I'm always around children because I have a heart for children. I I just I have kids of my own. Mm-hmm. I've had foster children that um, that live with me that I've also helped out. You know, and so I have that heart for children. You know, what do you do when you go in and you see a bunch of children that you know, you know, are not being afforded the same opportunities that you had as a child or that others have had at children that would help them to become successful? You know, what's the first thing on your mind when you see those children? Usually my first thing, and it kind of depends on the setting because I do it in two ways. The, the program you're talking about, there's a program called Reach Out and Read where pediatricians give new books to kids. Uh, when the kids come to their doctor's appointment, the pediatrician will tell the parent, here's a new book, take it home and read it to, the, to your child, because they're trying to get the parent to understand, even if it's a child as young as six months old, all the way up to age five, if you read that book, you're teaching those kids verbal skills, you're bonding with the child. So when I do that particular program, I'll go into a waiting room, and I actually help them recruit volunteers to read to the kids. But if I'm there reading, I'll sit there and share the book with the child and you know, just get them comfortable because a lot of children, you know, a lot of people are surprised to hear that kids in low-income neighborhoods may not have absolutely any books in their house. So when these doctors give them books, they're helping them to build a library. They may not have books. They don't. Their parents are busy trying to put food on the table, so they don't take them to the library. So I just kind of sit there, and my, my goal in that situation is to show the child, you know, reading a book can be fun. And not only is it fun, it can take you to other worlds. You can learn about other countries, you can learn how other people live, your your circumstance might be this way, but read about this little girl over here and how she lives, or read about that little boy over there and how he handled a challenge when he got angry. So to me, it's a way for them to enter another world and to take themselves out of what might be a particularly tough situation for them. But it's also showing those parents, when those parents watch me reading to those kids or even just turning pages, talking to the kids about the books, and they see how their kids get all excited, it's just me modeling for them how they can do the same thing. Now, I also do writing workshops for teenagers, and this summer I did a writing workshop with a group of kids um, ages 13 to 15, and Brian, I'll tell you, it just it broke my heart. Um, I went in on the first day and I said, "Who can, who can name an African American author for me?" They named one person who writes erotica, and another young lady held up a book that she had brought with her that day. And, it, and I am not exaggerating. The title was called "How to Love Your Man All Night," 
and this young lady was 13 years old. And she said, my mom said I could read it. And so I just felt, I said, you know what, I'm your other mother while I'm here, and we're going to do my Angelo. I want to expose you to Malcolm X. They didn't know who Malcolm X was. So you kind of, and they were older, they're 13 and 15. So when I look, work with the young kids, I realize if we don't reach them then, they're going to be like these 13 to 15-year-olds. There was a 15-year-old young man there who could not read. He could read maybe at a kindergarten level. He could not write sentences for me. He would always want to pass when it was time to read a poem or something. So in that situation, I just tried to pull out of them, what do you like to do? Okay, you're a great artist. You need to hone that gift. That's your gift. In order to be a good artist, you can read books by artists. You want to be a pediatrician, you need to read Dr. Ben Carson's book. Dr. Ben Carson grew up in a tough neighborhood in Detroit, and look where God took him. So I try to just minister to them where they are and try to find something that they're excited about, and then when you figure out what that is, then you just pull them into reading through that vehicle. You know what? You're volunteering a lot of your time with the kids and the families, and I'm going to share this with you. Later in life, these kids, they're going to find you. They'll look you up. Yeah. Because I just had yesterday, experience yesterday, a kid I coached 10 years ago in peewee football. I spoke with him on yesterday for the first time. Mm. His mom his mom had passed yesterday. Mm. He got in touch with me after 10 years yesterday. Wow. And that, that I didn't realize what had happened until after I spoke with him. He called me and said, Coach, I just need to talk with you for a second. And we talked 15, 20 minutes. And after that, it hit me that I made an impact on this person's life because he was going through the worst situation that he's ever had to face in his life, and he had enough faith in me to call me to speak into his life, which is just, that's, that's an awesome thing. And, I mean, I just thank God for that. And I really believe that's some of the, the things that you're going to get back. You're sowing seeds. Mm-hmm. I, I told Brian earlier, you're sowing seeds that, oh, my goodness, that's these kids are going to be awesome. It's an awesome thing. And I just try to tell people all the time, volunteer your time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better than money. It really the paycheck is. can't, it, we, you know, we all need money. Of course, it takes money to do things. But when you go out there and you volunteer your time and you see that light bulb come on, there's no check you'll accept over that. Amen. There's, there's no, no check, check that you'll you can write that can match the the joy that you get out of a smile. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. out of somebody who says, I understand. Yeah. Right, you know right. And if you just think about your own life, I just think about the people who poured into my life and how it made me better. It made me pursue my goal. It, you know, took me to another level. And so when you think about what people have given you, because none of us, you know, I, I haven't become an author or done anything on my own. I stand on the shoulders of all the people who said you can do it or who gave me a chance or who bought a book or who just encouraged me with a kind word or a prayer. I stand on their shoulders. And so when I think about that, then how can I not give the same to someone else? You know, my kids are blessed to, to go to a nice school where they're thriving and they have teachers who care and principals who care. And these kids in the center, they talked about teachers who told them that they were not going to be anything. And one girl could really write, and the teacher said, oh, you know, you're just going to waste your talent. So, you know, they, they don't get that. And so it's our obligation when we can to pour into them as much as we can and to say, yeah, I see all of your obstacles, but I also see your beauty. I also see you know, your potential, and you just have to want to live up to that potential and want to move forward in life. You know, Ms. Adams, what's so sad about the statement you just made is that that rings true just about everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Where you'll hear a kid when you'll ask them, you know, what do you want to do? And a lot of times they'll people will do it inadvertently. They don't even realize that they're speaking death mm-hmm. into that child's life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I can recall when... You know, even during a, once, during a Bible study, no, during a Sunday school lesson, where, you know, we were picking out some people to do something. And one of the kids said, you know, and she's a very quiet child, rarely mm-hmm. speaks at all. And she says, I want to read it. And so one of the, the Sunday school teachers says, were you paying attention? Mm-hmm. And the little girl says, yes, I was paying attention. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to see what you what you remember. And the little girl immediately shut down. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she whispered to me because I was sitting closer to so She said, I don't want to read anymore. Mm. 
And I encouraged her. I said, no, you have to. Mm-hmm. I said, you can't. I said, I'm sure that the Sunday school teacher didn't mean to discourage you, you know. Right. She just, you know, she just wasn't ready and prepared for that child to say, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I encouraged the little girl, kept on encouraging her, telling her, I said, if you need me to walk up there with you and read with you, I'll do it. Praise God. And she says, eventually she says, okay, I'll do it. And she was so happy when she got up there to read. Now, the the real key factor of that neither one of us realized is that the little girl couldn't read that well. Mm. You know, and especially when you're trying to read the King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> All right. You know, and so she got up there and she struggled a little bit with the word, you know, with reading it. And when I heard her begin to struggle, I immediately told the entire, you know, my, my our entire Sunday school class, I said, everybody stand up. Mm-hmm. You know, and she looked over and she saw everybody standing up. And then she realized that we were all standing up with her. Mm-hmm. And so she struggled through, but she finished. And she was so happy. Aww. You know, and so just that, you know, you never know how much you can speak life or speak death into that into a child. Amen. You know, and, and most people, they just, you know, and I think it's, it's partly because somebody has spoken death in their life, God, that's exactly and they hadn't gotten right. over that death. You know, when they when that when they died, they died for good for good. You know, Amen. they didn't allow Jesus to raise them up out of that that you know spoken word of death into the life of you know the living word. Right, I, I totally agree, and I think it's it's hard for adults to move forward in life because of things that have happened in our childhood, and we, then we just repeat that cycle. Rather than you know, I you know I think just even culturally, you know it is you know the kids have to be there, be quiet, be you know what is it, be seen, not heard. But for that little girl to want to stand up and see, she's going to remember that, and she's going to remember you standing with her, and you don't know where that'll take her in life. That's so true. <laughs> it, you know, it's it's a sad thing when someone speaks death into a person. It's even sadder when that person accepts it. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing. How do we how do we not accept those things that are spoken over us? I mean, I, that's when we have to have that word of God in us to kind of repel it. You know, like you put the raincoat on to keep the rain off. That's that's what our, the holy word is. It's our shield. Yeah. So some of those things bounce off because you're like, hmm, that's that was interesting, but that's not what God told me. So okay, I'm not going to even accept that into my spirit today. You know what? Right now, um, Brian and I we go into the jails and we and, and speak to. Grown, grown men, and there, and when we talk with them, and we start talking about someone speaking death and life, and to them, they they lock in with us because they're thinking that I guess they're going back to that childhood, those childhood memories of someone telling them what they couldn't do. Mm-hmm. You can't do this. You can't do that. And it comes out in there. They, they start talking about it in there. Mm-hmm. And and what we've learned is a lot of this. A lot of the reasons why a lot of these men are in prison comes from something that happened in their childhood. I, I totally believe it. I, I totally agree. Wow. It, it it was amazing. It's sad. And they held on to that thing for so long, and they didn't even realize what was happening. They just thought it was a normal thing for someone to tell them, you can't do this, you can't do that. Because I guess it's their environment. Right. That's what you hear all the time. That's That's like these... These young people that I was mentoring, you know, they thought I was from Mars. <laughs> right, First right. of all, you know, you speak a little bit too proper, and Stacy is almost a white name. Like, why is your name not Keisha, you know? <laughs> and, you know, the, it was just <laughs> totally different. For, and it was just like, okay, you know what, we are, are, my, my skin is the same color as yours, so we don't all have to take the same path. But, God, you know, if you open your eyes and your heart, God can take you where you want to be. And because this was a program that was based at a, a Catholic center, I could talk to them about God and, and about what their journey should be. And a lot of it is with their environment and what's the norm. And they don't, want to be, they don't want to be outside of the norm. We talked about Michael Vick because, you know, Michael Vick grew up here in Virginia. And uh, we read a newspaper article where this colonist has said, you know, he was hanging around these friends who hadn't changed, although he had had the opportunity to change. And I asked them, you know, if you had a choice to be in your environment or to move forward, who would you do? And they said, well, we would move forward, but we would take our friends with us. 
well, you see with Michael Vick's friends, you know, come on. Some, sometimes it's hard to leave that comfort zone, but that's why you have to know what God has in store for you and where he wants to take you. Not that you would ever leave somebody behind and look down on them and be prideful and, and arrogant, but you would have to operate in the spirit of God on how to uh, associate with them. You know, it's funny you would bring up Michael Vick because that's been sort of like the water cooler talk all week long. Mm-hmm. And not so much as for what he did. Right. You know, because, you know, of course we all know what he what he pled guilty to and everything. You know, but it was a statement that he made. And, you know, when he was talking to the, you know, he was making his statement after he pled guilty, he said, I found Jesus Christ. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times when you're going through the fire, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be just like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and look for that fourth person in that fire, and that's Jesus with you. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in that case, Mike was going through the fire, and he realized that everybody else in the fire was already burning up. Mm-hmm. You know, he had those same people who who he had, you know, who were his friends, you know, all of a sudden they're turning into his enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, they tell you about, you know, choose your friends wisely. Amen. You know, but what do you do when the people who you always known to be your friends, you know, how do you divorce yourself from them That's when true. they've always been there for you and always been there with you? Not necessarily good for you, mm-hmm. but they've been there for you. That's that's the challenge. That that's that's I think that is that is the challenge for for any of the athletes, but for any of us, because you know, and I think that's a good word that you use too. How do you divorce yourself? And you know, the Bible does say God hates divorce, and literally, He's talking about between married people. But I think even in our our daily existence, in situations where Michael, for Michael Vick, it's a it's a situation of he's this multimillionaire, and how does he handle this mega uh, superstar career uh, in conjunction with these friends who maybe weren't good for him? But even in our lives, how do we handle it? When we've got the friend who's always been there, but she's always been a little negative, and we and so we got to take this step forward. Well, we can't take the negativity with us. How do we do that? And I think it's a balancing act. I think God wants us to love at all times. So the question then becomes, how do I love as God wants me to love, but at the same time, you know, nurture this gift and put the oxygen mask on myself and take care of me so I can do what God needs me to do? And the sad thing about that is, you know, we we know our enemies. We pay We pay close attention to our enemies. But the sad thing is, it's not the enemy that's always going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. It's the friends and the family that will do it, too. Because they and know you the best. And all of us know there's no hurt like friends and family. Mm-hmm. That is, that's that's like dealing with, you're dealing with deceit, dishonesty. You're dealing with all these things, and you've, you've always thought, well, this is family. These are friends. They won't hurt me. That's not true. That's I mean, true. if you even just look in the Bible, how many times... Did God tell his servants to leave their family? Abraham had to leave his land, and to keep the peace, he gave his his nephew Lot the better piece of land. That's right. Uh, you know, Noah had to build an ark, and the folks that didn't want to come along, his best friends, laughed at him. He you had know. to get on that ark, you know. So even biblically, we see where people have to cleave to God and sometimes leave behind those things. I guess at some point we have to know when our ex- when when is our exit time to walk out of that person's life because everybody that comes in your life is not going to be in your life forever. And right there, there there's a season. point. We have to know when to cut our ties with this person and go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we struggle with a lot because we spend so much time with the person and we get we, we form this bond and we figure, okay, well, we have this bond now. We're supposed to be together forever. It's always supposed to work out, and that's not always the case. Right, right, because, you know, God appoints our times even with our relationships, and maybe you're in someone's life for a particular season. You know, just even personally, I had a friendship like that right before I started writing my first book. And, you know, like we talked about hindsight, uh, with that friendship, you know, we talked on the phone all the time, and we were just the best of buddies, and, you know, we both had kids about the same age. And, you know, yeah, she would gossip a little bit, and I never really chimed in, but I sat there and listened to it for two hours. 
And and when the friendship finally kind of petered out, and I was like, what happened, God? You know, I grieved because I'm like, this is my girlfriend. What's going on? I asked her. She never would say. But do you know that after that friendship petered off, I kind of I just kind of went to this zone where I was like, be still and know that I am God. You know, I got some little projects done around the house that I needed to get done. And in doing those projects in that quiet time, the story started coming to me, speak to my heart. And I just realized, you know what, God needed me to write this book. I couldn't write that book by spending my Sunday evenings on the phone listening to the church gossip. Whether or not I was participating, I was listening. That was taking some valuable time, some energy, sinning vicariously instead of doing what God needed me to do. And when he pulled me away from that relationship, now I still see her. She happens to still, you know, we still are in the same circle. We see each other, we hug each other, but we don't. We're not like we were. You know, it's more of a cat. It's more of a, a formal. How you doing? Happy birthday, Merry Christmas, that kind of thing. So we respect each other, but we are not like we were. And God had to move me in order to do what He needed to do in my life. So it's not like, you know, we didn't end it in a bad way. But I, I need, I did what God needed me to do to move forward. So you, so you respect your time now. <laughs> I do, yes. And that, it was so eye-opening because it, that was true. It was just like, wow, God, okay, I really was sinning. Even though, you know, you think, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not buying the lottery ticket. I'm just riding to the store with my friend to get it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we can vicariously sin. And so we have to be careful about that because when we're doing that, then we still may not be walking where God wants us to walk. That's true. Yes. You're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. And we have author Stacy Hawkins Adams with us tonight. Ms. Adams, what are some of the things you have coming up on your schedule? Gosh, I've got a busy schedule because yes, my uh, third book, Watercolor Pearls, will be coming out in October. Uh, so most, I guess one of the most immediate things I have coming up is a Christian Writers Conference in Dallas. Uh, September 20th through 20, the 23rd. And while I'm there, I'm hoping to do a couple of book signings. Uh, one will be on the, the Friday, September 21st, hopefully at a local Barnes & Noble. We're nailing down those details now. And then I'll also be at a Dallas-area church on that Sunday before I leave town. So if folks will check my website, they can see that. And then also they can just go to the website to see uh, some of the engagements I have lined up from October through the end of the year. And I'm doing a lot of speakerphone chats with book clubs that read the new book just to kind of do like we're doing tonight, talk about the themes in the book and, you know, how, how are we the watercolor pearls that God is calling us to be. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Stacy, if you had an opportunity to talk with someone that's suffering, that's in that unpleasant place where they think God has turned his back on them, what would you say to them? I would say, as I said earlier, even when you think God is not there and God has fled, God never leaves us. If we open our hearts to him and our eyes and our minds and our spirits, we will, we will find him, as Michael Vick said, he found him, because he speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us in the whispers in our spirit. When we think it's a, a coincidence or our conscience, that's really God speaking to us. So I just look for him and listen for him and just stay in constant prayer and he'll show himself to you. Yes, well, Ms. Adams, we really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Yes, we do, yes. You know, we thank you, we thank God for you, and we know that your next book is going to be a success. And, you know, we just praise the Lord for everything that you do. Amen. Well, you know, Brian, she's coming back on before the book comes out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Yes, well, and that watercolored pearl, look for it in October. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me on. It's been a blessing to be part of the broadcast tonight. Yes, thank you so much. You know what? Everybody listening, get the book. Christmas is coming up. Go ahead and start purchasing these books for Christmas gifts. Sow them, sow them, sow them, sow them. Sow a seed, sow a seed. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Stacey, if someone wanted to get in touch with you for speaking engagement, or if someone just wanted to talk with you about whatever, how can they get in contact with you? Um, the easiest way is probably through my website, which is stacyhawkinsadams.com. That's S-P-A-C-Y-H-A-W-K-I-N-S-A-D-A-M-S.com, stacyhawkinsadams.com. And then they can also call my office, which is 804-768-1292. All right. Well, we thank you again for coming on. And listeners, 
You have to begin to move forward. Stop staying in that stagnant place. Stop staying in that point where you feel like there's nowhere to turn, there's nowhere to go. You can't go back. You can't unwind the clock. You can't unring a bell. You can't uneat a sandwich. <laughs> you know, you have to begin to move forward. You have to begin to digest what you've taken in and start to use it as fuel for the journey. You know, I always try to encourage people to do the right thing, to make sure that they do the thing that's important. You know, and with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. We thank you for listening, and God bless you.